0: And welcome back to the Race IndyCar podcast. It's been a minute since we last floated over your airways, but we're back to kick things off ahead of what promises to be another ace IndyCar season. Once again, my trusty co-host JR Hildebrand will be here this season. And from both of us, we have to say a massive thanks for all the messages asking when we'd be back, when we would return, and also everyone who downloaded the podcast last year and gave us some listens. We really appreciate it. JR, give the listeners a a flavour of what you've been up to this off-season. I assume you. Probably spent like Christmas in Mogadishu, and then you were like New Year in Siberia, and then something along those lines.
1: A little bit of travel. We did actually. We went to Iceland uh, for Christmas, which was a bit of a last minute last minute holiday, but pretty awesome. An awesome place to go uh, to go spend some time. Um, yeah, my off season. The off season in, in some ways it seemed seemed long. It seems like forever since we've uh, been on the pod here, but. But very short in the big scheme of things. Um, so it, you know, a lot of uh, I guess on on my end, looking ahead to the racing season, nothing nothing that's quite prepared to announce. But but some good things coming down the pike for sure. And uh, looking forward to chatting about that a little bit more as as we continue towards the season. But yeah, man, I mean, just excited to get this this racing season kicked off altogether. Um, you know, race of champions coming up. We just had the 24 Hours of Daytona. That really feels like Like things are kicking off, so uh, excited to be back and and ready to rock and roll.
0: Just remember, we have to get the exclusive on whatever racing you're doing this year. You can't be you can't be giving (laughs) the exclusive to anybody else. So we'll have to kick you off the podcast. We can't be having that. I guess um, before we get into um, anything else, uh, we should tell you that before the season starts, we'll be bringing you a special episode breaking down all the off season changes and some of the key themes that we expect to shape this upcoming year. But we wanted to come back with a heavy hitting star to get you in the mood for the upcoming action. So without further ado butter his backside and call him a biscuit. It's Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden. I should probably explain that before we move on, Joseph, because it makes you sound a bit weird if I don't explain that. You said um, you were asked what, what what would happen if you won your home race at Nashville in the kind of IndyCar content days, and you said if you did win, you could butter his backside and call him a biscuit. Is that, a, like, is that like a well-known phrase in Nashville, Joseph?
2: Uh, it, it could be. I don't even really know where the <laughs> origin of that phrase is. Um, there may or may not be more to that story um, in, in me saying that. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I did say it. Um, and I also feel it is true. You know, if I win in Nashville, you can butter my backs out and call me a biscuit. I will be very happy and it will be a good day. <laughs>
0: I guess before we get into the actual racing side of the things, one of the biggest changes headed into 2022 for you is that you're expecting your first baby with your wife. Ashley, big congratulations on that, obviously. I know you've spoken already about the excitement for for that experience on, on your thoughts about Ashley being a great mom and all those kind of things. And I just wondered how you think, you know, becoming a dad is going to impact your racing life. I guess it's a question you're going to be asked a lot ahead of this season starting.
2: It really is a fascinating uh, question. You know, I, I, hard to answer. Um, kind of jumping into the unknown here with Ashley, but we're really excited about it. Um, you know, I think if you look at people like Scott Dixon, it it didn't really, you know, uh, appear to affect him. I mean, if anything, he's only gotten better. Um, you know, more calculated and more consistent. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping it it doesn't have an impact. Most people that I've talked to that have kids and that are you know going into that journey, they say once it happens, they just have been more motivated and their, you know, their efficiency or their, their drive um, or, you know, their abilities, they just increase, you know, you, you want to be even better for your family. And so that's, I think the 90% of the feedback that I've gotten has, has all been that. So my, my hope is it's only going to make me better in the future, you know, make me want to uh, achieve more uh, and, and drive me to, to hopefully new heights. But I, I don't know. I think, You know, I'm not, I haven't thought about that side of it as much. I've thought more about, you know, what we're, what we're about to do, what's about to happen. And, you know, starting a family with Ashley, that's, you know, just hoping for a a healthy kid is I think number one. Um, And if we can be, you know, fortunate to have that, then it's going to be, it's going to be all good. That's awesome,
1: man. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I don't think you lack having and having a a sort of central focus, but um, everybody better watch out if you get a little more of that after, uh, after baby comes along the way switching back to what's going on on track, the big change, you know, obviously from your perspective is that you won't have Gavin Ward um, on the timing stand. So is that sort of a, I guess I want to get your thoughts just on, you've you've had this change of engineer before, your thoughts just in this exact situation, your upcoming season, how you feel like that's going to affect you for where you're at now. Um, But also talk to us a little bit about, you know, this is like one of those you know terrible AFC trades where you get somebody you know you get your quarterback that goes to another team that you've got to face um, you know on the upcoming weekends. So you know wh- how does that make you think about this upcoming season?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a uh, you know not ideal. I wouldn't say. Um, I feel like we're we're certainly losing a a you know strong member of our team, uh, someone that was you know close to me, obviously very personal to to my program, but I think essential to our entire program. having said all that, though, um, you know, a big philosophy at Team Penske or or sort of a cornerstone of of the way we operate is that, you know, that the team's not built off one person. And that really rings true. And I think you come into the operation, you see how they work. Um, You know, so if we, you know, we lose a man here or there, you know, the, the really the strength of the team doesn't crumble. And I don't think that will happen. We have really incredible people across the board. And what I like about the team is, you know, we don't become siloed if you look at our operation, you've got, you know, what was four cars last year, is going to be three now, but when you break the cars up, you know, we're not siloed in the two cars doing their own thing. And and we kind of have our operating way and, you know, the, the three or the 12 are in a totally different planet. Um, I mean, we, I work with everybody across the board. And so, you know, whether it's Dave Faustino on, on, you know, Will's car, or it's, you know, Ben Bretzman, or it's, you know, Ron Renewski, like, uh, basically, and I'm just naming a few guys, but I'm talking everybody, we all work together. So it's, it's still going to be the same program, even just losing Gavin. Um, and we're going to be plugging in new people to that. So I think more where my focus is, is, you know, how do we get the new guys up to speed? You know, how do we get them in like, kind of indoctrinated into our process and, you know, our thinking and what's worked for us, and then try and take the good from them as well. And their perspectives, their outside perspective, and, and kind of add it into what we've been doing. So yeah, it's, it is without a doubt a loss. I, I think a lot of Gavin, he's a really great guy, good engineer. But I also just feel incredibly energized right now. Like I'm so pumped to have a little bit of new energy in the team. Um, it puts me on my game a lot more. You know, when you have a new engineer to work with, you really got to be on top of it to make sure you're explaining everything from your side, making sure you're conveying your feelings. That can just get lost after a couple of years where you just get comfortable with somebody. So the energy for me right now is, is kind of, um winning the day if you will like that that is exciting me more than anything.
0: And getting one over on Gavin obviously that's got to be the number one target. I'm going to bury him. <laughs> Just next he's going
2: to be buried. Every race I see him I'm going to we're going to we're going to put him down.
1: It's going to be I'm I'm looking at you while I'm driving down the pit lane
2: on the way out every time buddy. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> obviously
0: the last time this kind of thing happened Joseph obviously it's a little bit different circumstances but 2018 when Gavin took over from from Brian Camp. And obviously Gavin had been working with Brian through the the previous season to kind of get bedded into the to the team. A little bit of what you were describing about people, you know, being um know kind of learning how the team works and and settling in and that kind of thing you know you kind of obviously when that happened you and Gavin won the championship at the the first attempt so are you seeing this I guess leading on a little bit from what you were saying about being energized this is an opportunity for you to to work with someone who you know has had a little bit of time in the organization and then comes in and gives you that fresh perspective and something that can give you you know a little bit of a boost headed into the season
2: yeah this is this is definitely different than you know Gavin's arrival um you know to your point he when Gavin came in, we had the opportunity to, you know, go through the motions together for for an entire season before. Oh, until you know, it was really uh, lights camera action. And we had to do our own thing, um, and so that was that was a great way to bring Gavin on board to our process. You know, he had a lot more going on coming into to IndyCar though. Uh, he'd never been in you know the United States racing cars or engineering. Um, he hadn't seen our world. There's there's definitely some differences to Formula One. So even though he had this vast knowledge. I think just understanding, you know, or him learning the differences between Formula One and IndyCar was, was a really big task. So that year was really crucial for that, you know, um, coming in with a new engineer this year is going to be a little different on my side. Um, you know, I don't even know that we've, uh, fully announced or decided, you know, what, who's going to be on what car, but, um, you know, having someone that's going to be more IndyCar, um, oriented where they've, you know, they get have got the background in IndyCar, they kind of understand the drill. Um, that will be a big help. And um, so I think from that standpoint, it'll be different. But it's it's a very short turnaround. You know, that's that's the one thing that we've got this offseason. We've not had a lot of testing. We're literally going to do one live test day before we show up at St. Pete. Um, so trying to rely on the sim and just trying to make sure we're communicating over a couple months um, and communicating well enough so that when we get to St. Pete, we can hit the ground running pretty efficiently. That's that's going to be the hardest part. So that that is going to be very different than, than the way it went down when, when Gavin joined the group.
1: I just want to I want to follow on to that really quick, which is just in kind of to help the listeners imagine a little bit of the dynamic within Team Penske. You've talked about how it's how it's very much you, know, you guys are all working as a community of engineers and drivers, uh, which is what we tend to think of you guys from the outside. That is, there's a very clear cut like team dynamic to how the whole thing works. Uh, but you know, you're going to have a new engineer coming in, just that you've not worked with in this capacity. Let's say one way or another, whether it's somebody from within the team or or whatever. Um, you know, I, I'm curious, even just personally curious, you know, we've worked together as teammates in the past since you've been at team Penske. Do you feel like you've taken on more responsibility over time and, or, and, or just become more confident in really knowing what you need from the car? Like, maybe how have you evolved in that type of role? You're going to be coming in with, you know, a new engineer that you're going to be working with. You could make a case that that's going to be even more important to be able to steer the ship a little bit, um, you know, to make sure that you can hit the ground running this year. What's, what's that experience been like how do you feel like you've, you know, evolved over the last few years within this organization?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, so I'm 10 years into this journey now. And so, uh, when I, when I look at myself, um, you know, and I have to, yeah, you know, I have to think about my perspective and experience that I'm bringing to the table with a new engineer. Um, you know, I, I think about confidence more than anything, which is such a big deal in racing, like, you know, t- trying to project, you know, the, the confidence that you need to show up on a weekend and the confidence that you should or shouldn't have in certain situations as you, as you progress through a weekend is it's really important. And I think it, it, when you have a new engineer, it definitely shifts the confidence to my side, needing to be really clear and concise. Um, and I, I think that goes both ways. You know, I, I need to be, I need to be really clear on on when we should be confident about something or when we shouldn't, you know, and it's okay to not have some confidence in something if, if I'm not sure where we're going or I, I don't feel like it's the right direction, um, you know, that I'm going to say, Hey, I don't, I don't feel good in this, but when, when I clearly see, you know, this is the right way to do something or this is, you know, to me, the path we need to be going down, then I'm going to, I'm going to display that confidence. And, and I need to, you know, hold true in that. Um, because I think the new engine engineer coming in is, is going to have an uh, extreme lacking of that. They're going to, you know, they're going to see our program on the two car side specifically and go, you know, a lot has been working for you guys over the last five years, you know, so I don't want to come in and try and project all this, you know, confidence and feeling from my own side and, and mess up what you guys have been doing. Um, <laughs> So to try, you know, this is this is just turning into a common conversation about confidence. But um, for me, it's a really important thing is try to figure out that balance, because I don't what I don't want to have happen is where all that is put on me at the beginning where, you know, I got to I got to have the experience. I got to make all the decisions. You know, the, the last word comes from me, um, you know, or the big say or the big decision comes from my side, because it's really not how it works. When, when you get a group that's working well together and they've had time it's very much a collaborative effort, you know? Um, And so everyone should have a, you know, kind of a say, or at least, you know, an opinion on it. And then we try and come up with, with the best solution. So I want to get to that point sooner than later, but right now, just from what I've been seeing the last couple of months is it's, it's really been put on me to, to understand, you know, what do we need and where do we need to be at? And well, how does Team Penske operate and why does Team Penske operate this way? And, you know, why are you running these springs at St. Pete? You know, what was the progression over five years to, to lead you to that decision? And what, what's the philosophy behind these, you know, these role center decisions? Like all this, there's a million things that we could discuss. And like, you, you feel like it's all kind of on you in the beginning to make sure that you know the information and you're going to be directing it correctly. Um, but quickly that needs to turn into a, a collaborative process and not just be on me to, you know, sort of dictate where we should go or not go.
1: So I want to change tack a little bit here uh get get to a slightly different topic. Um you've raced in GP3 and then came back to the States, raced in Indy Lights. You know, you've made an awesome career out of being an in IndyCar at this point. Uh yeah, there's a lot of chatter these days about not only because of the strength of the IndyCar series, but young guys Colton Herta, Pato, Award, all these guys kind of in the in the discussion for or in a in a sort of newly um, you know, invigorated discussion about Formula 1 and and Americans or guys that have raced in the U S going to F1. I'm curious, you know, looking back on, on sort of your junior formula career and projecting a little bit, let's say, just thinking about young guys. Now, do you think that they should just be focused on getting to IndyCar? Or do you think that in order to get to F1, you still need to be on that ladder, uh, in Europe, like, which, how do you think that sort of changed and, and maybe reflect a little bit on, how your experience impacted where you ended up being able to get to?
2: I think if we're, we're having that discussion still in you know, February 2022. You, you, you still have to go through Europe. You know, you, you still have to find the, <laughs> the political posture and the backing on the European side to make it to Formula One. You're not going to do it through IndyCar unless there's a the very special circumstance. I would say Pato Award is probably in that special circumstance where You know, he's in a team that is very closely linked to a Formula One operation where the management, the decision making is, you know, intricately tied to that. And so if he had some abnormal season, you know, and made such a splash, then it's very possible for him to get a Formula One seat out of that, you know, unique circumstance. But outside of that, if you're talking about 99% of the time outside of that situation, you still have to go through Europe and you still have to indoctrinate yourself into their their system, their people, you know, their political uh, stature, and and you've got to find you know an incredible amount of money these days. That's only gotten harder and only gone up. Um, so I think that's where the immense pressure and challenge has has come come in for Carters or junior Formula drivers. Whether it's you know in um, you, you know in Europe specific um, or England specifically, or you're talking about the world that wants to go to Formula One. There's just not enough seats or opportunities with with all these now pressures that have just increased 10x. I mean, it is near impossible in, in my eyes. If I was to go back with all the knowledge I have now and said, "Okay, you could start over in 2022 as a as a 13 year old junior driver," I would say it's near impossible to get to the top of Formula One unless I had some, you know, unbelievable backing behind me. You know, say like you know a, a, a giant multi billion dollar. United States company that wanted to put hundreds of millions of dollars behind my name to take me to Formula One, that's really the only scenario that I see that could give me a clear path to get there.
0: I guess a lot of the, you know, a lot of the conversation centered around Colton last year was kind of reflective of the situation that he was going into and potentially being middle to the, the back of the grid in F1. And, you know, obviously you're an IndyCar driver, so you're going to have maybe a, a tiny bit of bias towards the, the IndyCar series. But how do you feel... You know, as a driver, knowing that you know that it's it's such a risk, isn't it, to to make that jumpy for someone like Colton Herter? Because, you know, I guess some people would argue that he would always pretty much have a, a seat at Andretti for him, even if he came back in in five or six years' time, having you know maybe not quite made it in Formula One or, or having been at the back of the grid. But, you know, do do you think as as drivers coming up through the American system that that is a, a risk you you think about taking and one that would be worthwhile, or do you think that we've got to a point now where you know, it's not worth making that jump to to be at the back of the grid or or to 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 come up against some of the adversities that you've spoken about there.
2: Well, it's only gotten tougher. You know, when I first started looking at this um, with my family and and I wanted to go to Formula One, it, there was still I I would say there was there was more of a likelihood that that it it could be pulled off. You know I think it's it's only gotten more difficult and it's still very possible. I'm not saying it is impossible. I'm just talking about the relative probability of really executing this and getting to a high level in Formula One is is only gotten only gotten substantially more difficult as as we've gone on. Um, but to temper you know, my uh my feelings of, of what I just expressed about Formula One, I do think it is getting better. I, I would say that you know the I f- I'm finding that in, in IndyCar, the respect for not only the series and the level of competition, the drivers is only going up nowadays. So, you know, the 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 probability of making it to Formula One from the IndyCar grid and being at the top of your game at, at this side of the pond is getting higher now. Um, and I, I want to see it just continue to trend in that direction. Because, you know, someone like, a, you know, Colton Herta that you know, without the without the help of Andretti to bring him to Formula One, he should be able to legitimately have a shot at Formula One um, without that specific help from Andretti. You know, I think people should be looking at Colton as just you know a really great driver that's you know in kind of the the prime of his young career, um, and has proven that he's probably got the ability to to run at the the you know the top level of Formula One. So. I I hope that just continues to advance over the next five to 10 years where, you know, IndyCar looks like a viable path for people. It's much simpler right now um, at the moment to try and, you know, get to the U S formula scene and and work up the ladder, get to IndyCar and then prove yourself at the IndyCar level. And I think take that to formula one, if you wanted to, or you could just stay in IndyCar um, which, you know, for me, for sure, I'm close to it, but I, I do feel like it's a superior product when you're, when you're talking about, uh, you know, a pure competition standpoint amongst the drivers.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll just tack on. You know, I'll, I'll I'll sort of switch hats here for a second because the there's so many factors. You know, in it you talked about sort of the the positioning. You know, like that's sort of the main thing now that makes it difficult, even when you've even when you can showcase the skill and you're seeing in in F1 even more of the junior driver relationships. That you know, how many. How many junior guys does mercedes have backed up and ferrari and all of these and they've got all their relationships within f1 i mean that was something you know joseph i was maybe i was three or four years or whatever your senior kind of going through this process and i never went you know i raced some in in uh you know, did the team usa scholarship and did some of that stuff racing in europe never spent a full season over there but Um, You know, when I had my F1 test, you know, there was talk about going over and doing GP2 for a season after that because I didn't have an IndyCar ride lined up. And, you know, even at that time, there were not so many of these deeply embedded relationships throughout the F1 paddock that were kind of dictating, like, the next, potentially the next few years worth of where drivers were coming from, where they were going to. It was a little bit more just like, I don't know, if you want, if you got into GP2 and had a great season, you might get an F1 ride like it was it was a little bit less mm-hmm. it was more straightforward from that perspective and at that at that point in time obviously the money is always an issue but it was kind of just like all right going and doing a good job in GP two was going to be hard. Like you had to show up, drive a car that you didn't know on a tire. That was totally different. You know, F one was just switching off of the treaded, you know, treaded tire. At that point, you listen to Scott Dixon and these kind of guys talk about their F one tests, you know, over the years, there just always been these hurdles regardless of, you know, whether it was the actual behavior of the car itself, being hard to get used to not knowing the tracks, um, you know, understanding the dynamics of the teams being, you know, that that at times has been totally different in Europe as it is, you know, the way that we kind of interact with our engineers and mechanics and team owners and all that kind of stuff in the U.S. So, I, I think just just to add to what you're saying, um, there are a lot of reasons, still a lot of sort of various reasons um, that this is just a hard thing to do. You know, and and to Jack's point not only a hard thing to do, but a hard thing to have the time to go do it. When you talk about Colton, it's kind of like, all right, well, what's, what's the time frame here? Like, is he, is he going to get a three-year contract to go figure it out? You know, if that's your, if that's your program, then you take a flyer on it, right? Like it's the only chance you might ever have to go to F1, but um, that's just not the reality of, to Joseph's point, unless you've got, you know, a, a, a multinational corporation based in the United States that's got your back. Um, it's just not really how things work. So I, I would definitely agree that it's it's great, I guess, just on the flip side of this. It's great to know that the IndyCar series is just getting better and more stacked and more competitive to know that that's somewhere that we can, you know, as as drivers coming up in North America, that that we can feel at home like that's a worthy place.
2: Um, you know, for us to be.
1: So I'm totally on the same page with you there.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, and, and to, you know, to continue this, um, it, this is not to diminish formula one. I, you know, when I look at formula one now, I look at it at, in a very different way than I looked at it when I was younger, when I was younger and I looked at formula one, I was just really, I was watching in the era from kind of Oh four to Oh seven. And was really enamored by the battle between Reichen in and, and Alonzo and Schumacher and Montoya. And there was a, there was a lot of people in the mix. You know, there was multiple teams. And Formula One is is very much similar to that time, but I think the the draw was, you know, yeah, these are the these are the best cars on uh, on the planet and these are the best drivers. And that's what I thought when I was young. But now when I look at it from my 31 year old lens, um, you know, having been an in IndyCar for 10 years, I go, you know, there's really only You're getting old, man. I know I am. I've are you 31? I'm already 31. It's God. Really- but, you know, there's there's only there's really only a few situations, especially now in Formula One, that seem appealing. And for, you know, if taking Colton's example, like you said, if, you, if you're going to get an opportunity with a three year contract, that would probably be the best case scenario to bring him over and to really, you know, learn, learn about the style of racing, the tire, like you said, all the intricacies of Formula One. It is a manufacturer's championship and it's much bigger in a lot of ways than, you know, the 20 seats that, that are there to, to put on the show. It, I mean, it is it is about the show in Formula One. It's about the prestige and the party and the, the event and the magnitude. Um, and then the the manufacturers really displaying, you know, what they can do with technology and how it's relevant and how we can push, you know, all these different, um, um, you know, topics forward. And so to me, that's what Formula One is. But when I, when I look at IndyCar, it's so much more pure play. I mean, it it is just, you know, come and run the coolest open wheel cars in the planet at a really high level, you know, come compete with some of the best from all around the world, and just jump in and compete. That's literally what it is. It's like you you get plugged into a team, you get to, you know, find your environment, try and make the most of it, put in the hard work, and if you're good enough and you execute – Like you might win some races. Like that's, that's just what it's all about. And it doesn't really matter what situation you have. You can make pretty much any of them work.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I've, I've said this before, but you know, I feel like formula one is, is still where you go to see as if you're a race fan It's still where you go to see the most sort of advanced product in motorsport, but IndyCar is just where you can come see racers going racing. And that's what it's about. Um, so I'll switch topics back to you a little bit here. Um, you're you're a, an analytical guy. Like I said, we've been teammates. You know, I've I've seen it up close and personal. Um, maybe not everybody thinks you're the smartest guy in the world, Joseph, but you. I, I'm giving you a lot of credit here personally, um, having been there as teammates. Um, you know, you can never have one sole focus. I personally rate you as one of the most like adaptive guys in the paddock. I've seen it with my own eyes um looking through looking through your data when i was on the team in 2017 looking through the things that you did the year before was always like there was always these things that would pop out like how did he just know to do that into that corner in on that qualifying lap like it always it always impressed me but as drivers there's always things that you're there's always something something that you're trying to work on and so i'm curious coming into this season whether it's something that you've spent time on over the off season or it's just something kind of in the back of your mind looking ahead to you know a particular race or a particular type of circuit that you're going to is there something that you're thinking I I know I can get better there and I want to work on work on that this
2: year yeah I I mean for me it's it's always you know it's it's always a combination of a lot of little things um, you know, it's these little execution points that can just be refined. Uh, you know, I think last year a big emphasis for us was was qualifying. you know, figuring out how we how we just how we how we take that up a notch and and that was sort of layered in you know four or five finer points, you know to 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 just encapsulate qualifying. Um, but it's you know i I'm very, very focused on speedway running right now. I really am. I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me. You know, I I like to pride myself in thinking that I can overcome whatever I'm not good at. Um, and there's definitely things that you know don't come naturally to me. You know, I, I like to think I don't know why, but Iowa just seems to to suit me. I don't know what it is. I really like short track racing. I like Iowa, and so that's been a good track for me. But then you look at you know other tracks, and I I think Speedway racing in, in modern day Indy car has been a bit of a conundrum for me. I don't know why. Um, I mean, I could tell you some examples on, you know, things that have, have made me uncomfortable or things that I've not liked, um, or things that I just can't get, you know, perfect to my fitting, but yeah, speedway racing in general, making a really comfortable car, a car that, I, you know, that I want to drive a certain way. That's, that's the one area I'm focused on. Um, and I've had some cracks at you know the 500s, you know the most prestigious speedway, and I've had some cracks at that. I've had some really good race cars there. Uh, you know, 2016 was was by far the closest we were, I think, to winning that race. So it's not like we've been far away, but you know, just how can I how can I get that even closer? Where every time I have an opportunity to go to the speedway, how can I make sure it is it is going to be you know the my best foot forward for that opportunity, and I'm not going to waste a year there. And so that is. That's number 1 on my list. I've just got to understand how to make a more comfortable car for me and the way I like to drive it. Um, you know, and figure out how to blend that with, you know, the, the the right car package for for the event because, you know, they're they're not always the same thing. A car that you like to drive really well and that suits your style doesn't always line up with what the car needs to be doing to win the race. So, trying to blend those two together is is where my focus has been.
0: I guess you know one of the things you you mentioned earlier on about the the kind of uh, shift from from four cars to three and obviously that'll always be a you know a big topic of conversation in the media and how that's going to you know affect team penske and all this kind of stuff so it'd be good to kind of you know get your thoughts on this pre-season because obviously Simon Pagenaud's left to to go to My Shank Racing and that leaves you with Will Power and, and Scott McLaughlin. obviously i guess the the pros and cons are the 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 pros are that there's more focus on those three cars and you're kind of um let's say you're uh, bringing the circle in a bit tighter maybe is a good way to describe that and then you know the downside is there's less data and, and one less car on the track to to kind of take things from so how are you kind of interpreting this move because historically it's always been something that rogers like to have three cars and um or you know something that it's not unusual for the team is what i'm trying to say it's not something that's you know totally out of the ordinary that you've gone from from four cars to three so how are, how are you interpreting this in terms of you know your chances for the season
2: I think it's very positive for us. You know, I think we're going to be more, we're certainly going to be more compact, um, but I think more efficient, you know, four, four cars worked really well. I've seen it. I've seen it both ways. When I first showed up here in 2017, we were cars with, you know, Elio, Simon and Will and myself. Um, and then we went down to three and then we came back up to four. Um, so I have yo-yoed a bit in that zone, but I, I think the three car program um, can work very well. I think the timing of it is really good for it right now, you know, so kind of, um comparing that to it being good on both ways i i think 4 or 3 cars can work for us it's it's not really one or the other but i think the timing of going down to 3 cars for us right now is is really fitting you know we we've definitely had some challenges um ever since the aero screen came into effect and even a little bit further back from that when when the the new aero kit came into effect in 2018 you know i think we've we've seen on the team pensky side some some lingering deficiencies um, that didn't really rear their head until in, in 2018, and then kind of you know again in 2020. And we've done a, a ton of work uh, to combat some of those deficiencies that we've detected. Um, but I think right now, trying to really you know take that next step and, and really um, you know bring our cars to a, a better level in, in 2022. I think going to three just kind of cleans things up temporarily at least. Uh, so I don't know if that's a long term commitment or where we're going to be at, but. I feel very positive about it. You know, I know I was just at dinner the other night with Scott McGarklin. He's, he's really pumped on it. You know, he kind of feels the, um, he feels the compactness of the team in a good way. Like just everyone's kind of, you know, pulling together and and refocusing on, on what's, you know, what's going to be most important for speed and performance. Um, And I think Will's the same way. So yeah, I'm encouraged by it. I think it's good timing. I guess the
0: the kind of last thing that I wanted to ask you on the, on the kind of, The vibe of the the season coming up, and I was really interested to hear you talking about confidence and how that's a you know a big thing for you, and how that's you know something that's evolved and and developed. And I guess this is kind of on a a kind of similar playing field. But I guess you talked about the 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 level of IndyCar right now, the the quality of the field, and I guess that has two um, opposite kind of effects. It means if when you do win and you do win championships, it, it means even more because you've you know come up against those guys in that playing field but it also means there's occasions where you probably haven't done as well as you might have done a few years ago where you know like even last year as an example you had the best average finish across the average race finish across the course of the season and, and weren't able to win the championship so how, how is that kind of the the mental aspect of that how have you grown in terms of being able to deal with the kind of adversity and not only you know, when things go against you and you understand what's happened, the things where, you know, maybe things are outside of your control and they still haven't gone your way. And it's, you know, the the kind of look factor, I guess. How, how has that developed and, and how do you kind of approach that going into a season now? Has that changed a lot since you were a younger driver?
2: I mean, for, for me, I've definitely gained in confidence the more years I've been in this. And I've tried to just I, I've tried to really develop the skill set that, you know, confidence, confidence is is kind of at the center of what I'm doing. And when confidence is good, everything else can be good. Um, and you don't, you've got to be really careful to not, um, to not confuse it with arrogance. Like I don't, I don't, I don't want to be arrogant within you know my confidence, but I'm confident in what we're going to do. You know, I'm confident when I show up to St. Pete, I know what we're going to need there. I'm confident that if we show up to St. Pete, we don't have what we need there, that we're going to figure it out, you know, so that confidence can come in a lot of ways. And I think when, when that is strong, everything else is good. Um, and so, you know, to your question, Um, I like that the level is just elevating an IndyCar, you know, it makes it more meaningful. Um, you know, for sure, as, as a driver, you, you want to be up against the best. You want everyone to be at the top of their game. I don't want anything given to us. I just want to work harder and be better than everyone else, everyone else around us. Um, and I'm really focused on that. You know, every year I kind of go into, all right, you know, how can we just be, even better than what we've been in the past. If we won four races in the past, well, how do we figure out to win six or eight races? Even as the competition is going up, it doesn't really change my attitude on, you know, where our goals are, or what we're really trying to achieve. So I love that IndyCar is just continuing to elevate. I really think we have, you know, an in, in incredibly competitive environment. I think it's the best, the best you're gonna get around the world, it, you know, uh, uh, seats that would rival any other race seats, uh, you know, on any other um, championship out there. and so. Yeah, just trying to keep our confidence high is, is really important. Keep my, you know, team's confidence high. That's that that's what makes the difference, I find. You know, when that starts to get knocked around, a lot of things can um a lot of things can falter.
0: Let's end things on a bit more of a lighter note. We've got to ask for your favorite or funniest story of JR from when you've been teammates or in the in the bromance since, because this this podcast has been, in my opinion, far too nice to you so far in terms of the JR Joseph dynamic. So we need some. We need some embarrassing stories in here to to finish this off. I think.
2: I don't know. I think my favorite moment being teamed up with Jr. was, um, and I don't even know. We, I don't even know if we were still teammates here, but it was definitely in 2016 when um, I I broke my you know I broke my clavicle my my hand in Texas, and everyone was kind of wondering when we were going to get back. And I think we had a test at Iowa like probably two weeks after that or something. or It was right after Road America. And, and so we, ha- we had to get this test in, like it was important. Um, and I couldn't run the car and JR yeah, ran the car. Yeah. And I remember being there at the test and I was, you know, just watching JR, you know, get, get this race car ready. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get in this thing. I will, I, they're going to, they're going to strap me into this car. I'm driving this thing, but JR needs to get this thing tuned up so that I can just get in there and do it. And that's basically what happened. I, I was at the test and I'm like, oh, they're working on this, we're that. And they're getting the thing dialed in. And the car was like, pretty pretty badass and so jr got it all dialed up and i showed up to the race wing it didn't didn't really have to do anything i just drove the car and it was one of the best cars i've ever had and and uh, a lot of that is is credit to jr in that test and getting that done
0: that's exactly what i didn't want more positive <laughs>
2: <laughs> no it's far Yeah,
1: i was gonna say uh, you're just uh you're killing jack here yeah i, I remember i remember getting out of that thing and uh, on the grid, because uh, you qualified, you qualified off pole. I think that race, right?
2: And I think second, yeah, right, right behind Pagenaud. And that yeah.
1: wasn't really like the strength of the car was not just like the one lap outright pace, but at the end of the test, we we were second quickest at the test, like on used tires, doing a qual sim. So it was like oh, this thing's this thing's hooked up. I remember just thinking, you know, Joseph. You better go you better go bury everybody in this race because I need you to get that team Penske rides so that I can jump in this thing next year. So I was it was it was not it wasn't all for you, man. I was it was a little bit of you know self-preservation going on.
2: I only felt a little bad too because I could sense from JR, you know, he was like, Well, maybe, you know maybe that maybe that shoulder's going to hurt a little bit too much for <laughs> Iowa and uh you know if it if it wasn't me it probably would have been JR in the car in the field that year
0: well Joseph I have to say thanks so much for joining us I know uh me in particular can be um quite critical when it comes to to writing things about IndyCar at times but you know uh I've got to say I'm happy to say and I have written that I think you're probably the most complete driver in the series and we're really looking forward to seeing what you can do in in 2022 even with all of the challenges that you'll face on and off the track i'm sure you'll overcome all of them and that jr will be uh championing you and cheerleading you along the way
2: well let me just say before i go i'm a big fan of this pod i actually listen to this pod pretty often uh and i'm a big fan of both of you guys i think you're you're to the best so keep up the great work and thanks uh thanks again for having me on this is,
0: this is more nice stuff we can't we've got to cut this out like this has got to be edited out it's, too, it's just too nice
1: so that's all for this episode of the race indycar podcast feels good to say that and we'll be back kicking things off in 2022 don't forget to check out the Race website for all the latest indycar news features and analysis we'll be back soon to pick out all of the key topics and changes ahead of the 2022 season